Hey there, Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Rocket MSP podcast. We are live. And today I'm joined by Connor Swam, Fin Security. Connor, how you doing, man? I'm doing amazing, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, I, I got to say, I love the background. It no longer looks like a bedroom. It's, uh, it's not a bedroom and I'm no longer in the basement. So Good for you. I've moved from below the ground to I'm now on the ground floor. Uh, <laughs> right. Not in the basement. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about um, hiring employees, onboarding employees, all that good stuff. Uh, for people that are joining us live, um, submit questions in the comments. Uh, we want to we wanna make sure that we can help everyone out. So uh, with that said, let's let's just kind of hop in, dive dive right into the deep end. Uh, my first question is the the age old chicken or the egg. Mm. Do we hire our first employee or do we wait because we still have to document more things? Um, this is a this is a topic where I guarantee you could you could do it right both ways. You could document and then hire. You could hire then document. Um. What's most important is that, uh, I'll just explain how I thought about it is when you're hiring people, you're hiring them because they're creative and intelligent. And if you don't let them go do creative and intelligent things, you basically, you should have just had a robot. You should have just gotten chat GPT or some BS like that to do the job for you. So what we did was, uh, I suck at doc. I don't document hardly anything. So when we hired people, there was no documentation. And what we told them was, congrats, you're making the documentation. Um, and our whole thought process for at least the, the few initial key hires was we're hiring the areas that are most painful for us. So um, initially what we hired for was partner experience, and then we hired for uh, additional developers, and then we hired for sales. So specifically for that first partner experience hire, it was, I suck at this. I was doing it all the time. I suck at this. I didn't document it. I walked them through by hand. This is exactly how I do partner experience. Here is exactly how I would like all of our partners to be treated. Go, you go build it. And every week or every day, however often we needed to, we're going to meet, we're going to talk about what's working, what's not working. And then you're going to document what you're doing so that you can hand it off to somebody else and you can go do other things at the company. So we just didn't do documentation, namely because I hate writing documentation, uh, but uh, it worked out. It worked out really well for us so far. That's great. So you have, um, one question that you try to answer very quickly when you hire someone, and that is, are you capable of doing the job? Yeah. Um, how is that something that you, you learned from someone else? Is that where, where'd you come up with? Um, our whole thesis around hiring is by the time, by the time a, a candidate gets to me, so the way we've set up our hiring process is we have a set of recruiters that we work with for various skill sets, like developers and sales. And sometimes we use multiple recruiters that are just better at recruiting certain positions for us. Um, they'll go through the recruiter, then they'll go through uh, a manager, and then they go through me. So the third time, by the time they get to me, that question has already been answered is, can they do the job that we put on the job description? And that's, that's the most important piece to begin with is, we're hiring for a specific skill set because we have a specific need and we have a specific pain and we want to solve it right now. If you, if you don't even meet that bar, the next bar that I'm going to have you jump over isn't even a question. 
that we need to talk about and we should just stop the hiring process for that individual immediately. So those first two interviews are not about largely who are you, what are you doing, why are you doing it, what do you want to do in life? You know, you're here for a breath of fresh air and then you're gone. So, you know, what do you want your mark to be kind of deal? It's we have this job. Do you like it? Do you want to do it? Yes or no. And then when they get to me, then it's about all of those finer details. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What do you want? How can I help you get that? And uh, I made a, a statement. I don't know if this was publicly or privately, but it was, uh, I fully believe, I fully expect, and I fully support every person that I ever work with to pursue what they believe to be the best opportunity for themselves and their families at all times. I always believe everyone should always do that, even to the extent that it like cuts against what I want. Always do what's in your own best interest and what you believe is going to be in your best interest. Um, what, I'm, what I view my goal is, is to create opportunity at, at Finn for that opportunity they want to pursue to continue to be within my own, my own organization with my own control. So whether that's having folks telling them you have access to do any job you'd like at Finn um, or you can grow any role you'd like or if you've always wanted to try something and you've never been given the opportunity to build and manage a team that does X, Y, or Z is just tell me, it's like, we'll, we'll make that opportunity for you here. And you have the complete creative license to go do that. Um, and that's just built out of, uh, the belief that I said at the beginning is the only reason you hire anyone is because they're creative and intelligent. And I'm not great at most things that I do. I just, I'm just the guy that ends up doing them because most people, they know that they aren't great at something and they just stop there. They don't ever try for whatever reason, something's wrong. There's wrong wiring in my brain where I'm like, yeah, I have no idea how to do this. I'm probably not going to be good at it. Probably going to suck. Whatever. I'll do it anyway. I'll try it out. Um, but that's also given me a sense of, uh, oh, I'd much rather hire somebody who enjoys this and is good at it to come do this. And they're probably going to be way more better at it than I will. So let them get it done. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's usually where I hire. But by, by the time they've gotten to me, it's, I don't even have to ask, can they do this job? Mm -hmm. I'm expecting that the people I put in place have rooted that out already. Good. And then, so by the time they get to you, so, so that's the, that's an interesting thing. You said you use recruiters and, um, you know, in the, in the software development or software as a service industry, I suspect that that is, uh, common to I use recruiters. Yeah. Um, when it comes to MSPs looking to hire, I don't think that many use recruiters. I think a lot of them are, you know, s still small. They have fewer than five employees and they're like just struggling to find good candidates, let alone figure out the right questions to ask. Um, what, what would you say to, to the MSPs that are struggling to find good candidates because they're, they're trying to manage hiring on their own. Uh, I would say two things. Uh, I did that at the beginning, Josh and I, Josh, my co-founder and I did that. And it took us two months to hire one person. And we were like, um, well, if we're going to painful, yeah, it was a lot of our effort. It was a lot of our time too. So not only were we bad at it, but it took an incredible amount of time. And so our thought was, if we continue doing it this way, we're going to get less qualified people. It's going to take all of what is the only executives at the company at the times, um, active participation. And it's going to take us twice as long as it would a professional to get this done. 
what's the opportunity cost of all that when you factor it together? Um, the answer was an incredible amount of money, uh, not only in the amount of time we were spending, but in the upside we were giving up because we weren't focused on building the business in other areas. So my advice to MSPs would be um, uh, twofold. One, your plan cannot be that lightning is going to strike. Sure, uh, a good, a great candidate might be available at the exact time you need them to be for the exact role you're looking to fill. If that happens, right? Luck has a play in this. But if that's your plan, you're going to fail. It's just not, it's not repeatable. It's not consistent. So the second piece of advice would be to actually work with recruiters in your specific area. And if it's just too expensive, factor in how long you're going to have to spend doing it, um, how much time you're going to have to have to do it. It's like, what's the opportunity cost of not having that person in for an extra month? Do you have burning fires now that they can begin to work at? Um, and the reality is too, I guess this third point, if you're looking for the most capable people and MSPs are, are unique compared to my business because they're usually very limited to a geographic specific location, I'm not. We're remote first. We hire in 17 states at this point. So I have access to a talent pool that is infinitely larger than most MSPs do. So when you put all that together, if an MSP is still like, hey, I'd like to do that on my own, it's just a recipe for pain. It's a recipe for pain and potential disaster. Um, so that's what I would say. Use a recruiter, make a process, don't plan for lightning to strike. Uh, and I know that you can't be, uh, you're geographically limited because that's where most of your services are provided. Uh, but see if you can pull from outside talent um, at, in some capacity. See if you can offload other activities so that the people that you do have local don't have to do things that can be done by an external workforce or a remote workforce. I like that. Uh, so basically, stop looking at the, the bottom dollar and start looking at uh, your, your time and effort as as you know, additional factors of, of this expense, because I mean, that's, that's a good point. You, you, your time is money, right? Especially as an MSP, if, if you're working on hiring somebody, then that means you're not working on something you can be building a client. So yeah, yeah definitely consider that. Another, um, another pattern I see is, uh, the notion of control. Um, I've never really had an issue with this, but uh, I truly believe that most people that I hire, it, hopefully everyone that works at Finn is much more capable of every job that I've asked them to do than, than I would ever be. And so I enter into every relationship that I have with every single person that works with me from that standpoint of whatever they're suggesting is probably going to be more effective than whatever I could come up with on my own. Not only have they spent more time doing this professionally, but they're probably smarter than me at this very specific job because it's what they've made their career in. So I view my job not as telling them how to do their job, but to give them additional context, right? There's two ways you make decisions. Uh, one is uh, with information and one is with ability. And so if they have all of the ability, I have all the information because you know, I'm still the guy sitting at the top of the organization having all the conversations from everyone. Um, that I, I view my job not as telling them how to do their job, but giving them all the information that I think they, that would be necessary to get it done. It's a very different skill set and also requires getting very comfortable ceding a lot of control to these people 
because you, you know that they're going to do a good job or rather you believe that they're going to do a job and then and, and measure that they do uh you you mentioned on linkedin i i so full disclosure for people watching this um this this whole episode right here stems from a post that connor made on linkedin and i was i was really impressed by the things that you said um you, you mentioned that you want to determine if there's a viable growth path for someone at finn so not just can can they do the job I'm asking of them? But where where can we fit them in three years, five years, et cetera? Yep. So how do you determine if there's a viable growth path for someone? Let me pull up something and let me read. Let me read okay. from it uh, that I, that we have internally. It's a document that I've made and I've. Uh, made with the help of a lot of our leadership here called you're the person if um and so your statement of uh, I'm, I'm reading it over here is like what's the viable growth path the reason that is incredibly an, an incredibly important question for me to get an answer to is the only people that i'm interested in working with are people who believe that learning is never done and that their growth is never finished if somebody believes they've reached the pinnacle of whatever they'd like to do I recognize that that's going to get to a point where no improvement's going to happen past that point. They're not hungry for the improvement. And so they're not going to help move anything forward after a certain, after they've reached their ceiling. And so this document I have says things like, you're the person if you believe learning is never done. You don't just accept feedback. You actively seek it out. You aren't afraid to have your beliefs challenged and you aren't afraid to challenge others' beliefs. You're creative. You're committed to finding and understanding the truth. You do what is right, especially when it's hard. You are kind. You focus on outcomes, not repeating activities that don't contribute towards a goal. You recognize failure is a part of growing and you celebrate it when it happens. You learn from failure and you most importantly help others learn from their failure. You attempted to do everything excellently. There are no shortcuts. You know what you don't know. You acknowledge risk and you use it to make decisions and you exemplify you exemplify stewardship and you treat Finn as if it were your own and our customer security as if it were your own security as well. Wow. And I send this to every person that ends up getting through our recruiter and meets our manager. This is the document they get. And we tell, we send it along with a statement that is, if you are not all of these things, bow out of the process now. It's like, you, that, you will not exist here long if that's not you. That's, that's a really fantastic document. And I gotta, I gotta say like, you know, hearing those, I would like to think I'm all of those things. I, you know, like, you, you know, everyone would like to think that they're all of those things because that's a fantastic list of traits. But, um, but then I think, oh, but there's no shortcuts. Like, yeah, there are. It's <laughs> It's like, uh, it's not like, um, we recognize that everyone's unique and, and I specifically recognize that a lot of these are incredibly hard to do. It's, it's more about a commitment to being the person that is these things. It's like how I, I grew up, uh, my dad's a pastor. It's how I viewed Christianity. It's more of a commitment to being Christian, living like a Christian than it is to just saying you're, you're a Christian. Cause you're right. Everybody can say, of, of course I'm all these things. Everyone knows how to jump through hoops. So that's when very hard questions that are very untypical of interviews come into play 
such as a question I'll ask is, when's the last time you challenged somebody's belief and tell me about it? It's like, when, when's the last time you had a hard conversation and tell me about that hard conversation? When's the last time you, you recognized you were wrong? How did you deal with it? All of these questions. It's like, if somebody actually exemplifies these in their own personal life, they'll have an answer. They'll have something to tell me. Um, mm. What's more important is not necessarily the exact content of what their response is, but the fact that they're able to pull a response from their personal life means that they're very, very aligned with all of these. Um, and um, the second piece to why I do this is it sets expectations. Is if you are, like you had mentioned, if you are doing some of these things or if you are failing to meet the bar that we've set here, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to admit that and commit to moving forward and, and bettering yourself and, and being a better part of this. So one of the things that you said on LinkedIn was, um, as, as part of your hiring process is you ask, how can we help the recruit build the life they want outside of work? Yeah. So can you, can you give any examples of, of how you look at helping to build the life someone wants outside of work? Yeah. Um, a lot of it comes down to trust and freedom. We trust that everyone is putting their best foot forward, putting their best effort forward and giving us 120% of what they can at any given time. Uh, and that comes with an incredible amount of freedom. If you need to go pick up your kids from school, don't take time off. Don't, don't, even, don't even need to tell anyone what you're doing. Just say, hey, I'm not going to be here for these hours. If you're sick and you, you can't put your best foot forward, you don't want to show up to work. You don't need to explain yourself. It's, we, we have this trust with everyone, this implicit trust that everyone is able and willing to put their best foot forward at all times. If you need to go to the doctors, you don't need to declare time off for that. Uh, and it's also why we have a very generous uh, time off policy um, where it's like uh, we have, we do all the typical um, uh, holidays and then we have, I think it's 20 days, uh, so four weeks of PTO. Um, and uh, I've made a rule with our managers that you never get the ability to decline somebody's time off request ever. You don't get to do that. It's not your time to manage, it's theirs. Uh, and so it's your job as a manager to manage around a person not being there, not to make them be there because you can't manage around it. Um, and when we, uh, another thing we do to help people outside of work is uh, we provide any amount of coaching or skill building or anything you'd like. So we buy executive coaches, we buy marketing coaches for, for some of our folks, we buy design coaches, we buy courses on Udemy and Coursera. We we do anything that anyone would like to do because they believe it'll give them a, an additional skill set, even if it's not directly contributing to what they are doing at Finn today. Like if you feel like you can be a better person because you have this help and this resource, we will absolutely do everything in our power to get that for you. And the only thing we ask in return is if we buy something for you that you actually go do it. It's like, don't have us, uh, I remember I was talking to an employee and like, hey, I want to learn how to be a better UI designer. Can you get me this $5,000 like online intensive six month program? It's like, absolutely. The only ask I have is that you actually go to the classes and you do the work. It's like, we're going to do it. We're going to buy it for you. I want to know you're taking advantage of it. I don't care if you don't ever end up doing design here at Finn. I care that you got the value out of that. Um, That's so, fantastic. Yeah, things like that. So uh, we mentioned... Um employee perks a little bit. So let's, let's back up a little bit though. Let's talk about onboarding. Sure. Well, um, so you, you said that there are a few things unique about Finn's onboarding. 
Uh-huh. Uh, new employees immediately shadow someone in their role. Everyone works with leadership to build a custom growth plan. Team members spend 30 days simply getting to know our product and why it's superior. At the end, everyone takes time to share what they change about onboarding so that we can keep optimizing. Can you expand on all that for us? Sure. Um, this goes back to, uh, I truly believe the people that we, that we work with, the employees we have at Fin are way more capable than me uh, and, and Josh and, and pretty much every, we, we hire people because they're great at their job. And so the best way to have a new employee understand what's going to be asked of them and how to do it is to shadow the person who, who either built that process or is currently doing that thing. It's not to shadow me. Uh, it's not to shadow Josh. It's not to learn. Now, we do have a lot of resources for them to read from and stuff like that. But the most effective way, the quickest way to actually get your hands into everything is to shadow the people that are doing the stuff. So uh, one thing we do is we highly encourage, we, we don't force them to do anything to do this. But we highly encourage a new team member to reach out to every other department, every other piece of FIN and every other employee and meet with them. Uh, and we only have 25 employees right now, so it's very doable. If we had 400, that's not possible. But, uh, and it, it's very important. It's all of us work together. All of us do very specific things. All of us have different skill sets. But it is very important to know how this whole thing works together and how everyone in this organization is an incredibly kind, creative, intelligent, and capable individual. Uh, I made a statement the other day, and, and I think uh, you'll see it on LinkedIn soon. It's like um, everyone that we work with is unique and like cool. There is no cookie cutter person here. Everyone has unique stories and and pasts and like backgrounds and upbringings and job history and skill sets. It's like everyone is their own unique individual, and that's like really exciting to see what's the flair they're going to put on how they solve these problems, and then. It's just management and leadership's job to give them the context that they need to fulfill all those things. Um, this custom growth plan, uh, really simply, like we do 30, 90 day plans uh, with everybody. But more importantly than that, one of the questions that I ask that we kind of already touched on is like, what's your life outside of work look like? And it comes from my fundamental belief that me and, me and Josh, uh, not only my best friend, but my co-founder, we will sacrifice for this organization in a way that we expect nobody else to. It's like, I've put in, we've put in 16 hour days. We've put in all in the past, of course, but like, I don't expect anyone else, nor would I ever ask anyone else to do that. Cause I recognize that the value they get out of that is not commensurate with the value though, um, with, with what they're putting in. For me, it's very simple. This is my baby. This is my thing. So of course I'm willing to do that. So when somebody's building this growth plan with us and we already have all the context of who are you outside of work and what would you like to do? It's from the standpoint of, for you, working here, work is a very small portion of the, of the fulfillment you should get out of your life. You have friends, you have family, you have community, you have culture, you have uh, pastimes, you have hobbies, you have things that you enjoy doing, you have a person that you'd like to be in the future. Who is that person? And most of that should revolve around things not at work, not at fit. And if you can't show up for yourself outside of work, it's not possible for you to show up for me at fit, for us at fit. It's like if you are not a complete individual, if you do not feel like you're getting everything you want out of life, you're not going to put your best foot forward here. So it's more out of like a, this custom growth plan is, yeah, sure. Like you're going to shadow these individuals. You're going to get all the context. You're going to understand how to do your job. And then we're going to set expectations with you. And this is what we, where we'd like you to be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days from now. But outside of that, it's can you identify one thing you'd like, one area you'd like us to help you grow in? 
and we let them decide. For some, it's, I'd like to learn how to be a better marketer. For some, it's, I want to be a designer. For some, it's, you know, I've never been a manager. Can you get me coaching on management on what it's like to actually lead a team of people and how I can do that? Uh, we have one person that's in our company, like, hey, I want to learn how to be a developer. Can you start helping me do that? Absolutely. We're a product-led company. We have developers through the nose, uh, and we'll work with you on that. And it's really exciting to watch people get a lot of fulfillment out of that. And it's like, this may sound great to anyone listening, not only now, but in the future, this may sound like, oh, like, I, like they're getting the good end of the stick. This is not an altruistic endeavor uh, for me or for Finn. It's I get an incredible amount of value out of every employee that feels very fulfilled at work. And it goes back to if I can be the opportunity they always want to pursue by providing all of these experiences and helping them become the person that they'd like to be. They'll never want to, they'll, they'll never view anything else as the opportunity that they'd like to pursue. So it's like, it's incredibly, it's also incredibly selfish. It works out in everyone's benefit. Um, yeah. There was one other thing you had asked. Uh, oh, uh, I made this rule. I hope, I hope our team still does it. I, I, I haven't checked if they do. Uh, every onboarding process, uh, the very last step of your full onboarding as a person, it's the end of 30 days is what's one thing you you wish were a part of your onboard process that's not what's one thing you wish you learned what's one thing you wish you were you were taught it could be anything it could be i wish i had 30 more minutes with the ceo or the cto or my manager whatever it is at the end of every onboarding it's there's one more thing that one employee who just went through this now added for the benefit of the person that's going to come behind them. so um I feel like that, by the way. I didn't He's, come up with that on my own. I yeah, I was listening to some oh. from business. I forget who, maybe well, HubSpot or something. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a quote out there somewhere about uh, how there's no original ideas anymore. So it's it's okay if you stole that or if you stole all of it. Who cares? Um, the fact that you've implemented it is the big deal. Now, uh, the first part was new employees immediately shadow someone in their role. What if it's a role that doesn't exist? Like, um, I know you've got a sales side of things. Do you have a marketing side? We do. Uh, we have a marketing manager, Jamie, and we actually just hired a social media and events coordinator to work with Jamie. Um, the, uh, so someone in their role at startups, everyone wears multiple hats. So the reality mm -hmm. is when we're hiring somebody for a role, if it's, Somebody in the organization or a group of people are currently wearing that hat because it's getting done. Um, it's getting done somewhere. Uh, usually how it works is uh, Josh and I will realize we, we can't be doing this stuff anymore. This is too day to day or this is too much effort, energy. And all right, then we delegate that to somebody else. And then that usually gets to it. That hat gets to a point where we're like, Hey, this is taken away from all my other stuff that I really like to get back to doing and that I, that, that I think would be better for the company. That's when we have the conversation of, all right, let's hire a person. Let's make them that role. And they're going to work under you for a very long time until they figure out how to get all that done and make it a better process. So it's whoever's wearing the hat or the group of people, they get to follow them around for, for at least 30 days, if not more. Hmm. So one thing that I'm, I'm real particular i'm a weird guy okay so when when i think about uh companies i like to think about what the the org chart looks like mm -hmm. and you know for startups 
startups are are special because you're right. Everybody's wearing multiple hats. Mm -hmm. So did did you and Josh actually like make an org chart and say, okay, uh, I'll wear these hats, you wear these hats, and Jamie will wear these hats, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. At at one point, we actually did that. We had a uh, yearly strategy session with one of our investors and one of our advisors uh, in in DC. And we did that. What are all the things you're doing? Uh, okay, what are the things you think you shouldn't be doing anymore? Okay, what are the things you can delegate today? What are the things you should delegate for tomorrow, i.e. hire? And we went through that process. Uh, it was definitely not as cookie cutter as I just made it sound, but it was, let's take stock of everything we're doing and let's see what we can get rid of and what we can delegate now. So yeah, we did do that. Very good. All right. Let's talk about some employee perks. Sure. Because you you mentioned earlier uh, spending money on coaches and courses. You you actually you actually said that you've got a forty thousand dollar budget for ongoing education. Uh, it's so, a lot more than that now, but yeah. Oh wow. Okay. It's and like I, uh, if I had to put it at a number, I'd probably say like sixty grand. Okay. And what's crazy is, I mean, it was. It was a little over a month ago when you made that post on LinkedIn. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome how things have changed in 45 days or less. Yeah. Uh, another thing we do that's not on here, uh, Josh and I are avid readers. Um, mm -hmm. Like we, we just enjoy learning things. Do you guys so, have a book club? I'm a part of a book club uh, called the MSP Vendor Book Club or something like that. We're reading a... Oh, the book's right here. Grab, grab it. We're reading this book right now. It's actually really good. I got through the first couple chapters. It's called Getting Naked. Uh, it's about okay. a business consultant that their, his company acquires a company and he has to deal with uh, integrating them. It's a, just a really cool study of uh, how to do that, of how to integrate teams well and get them to work together. But one thing that's not on this list, we have our own book lists, uh, Josh and I, where it's these are the top six, top seven books that we've read over the course of our lives that influence our thinking and have made us the person we are today and have allowed us to hold the beliefs and the, uh, uh, the way we view the world today as well. Uh, hmm. And there are books on there like um, Jocko Willink's uh, Extreme Ownership. There is, uh, I have a book from a guy named Alan Watts, who's a religious, religious guy, a philosopher called The Wisdom of Insecurity. It's about enjoying your life and recognizing most of it's outside of your control. So just enjoy the ride, like stuff like that. And we have a rule that's if anyone ever looks at that book list and wants that book, we will buy it for them. So it's actually meeting with my accountants yesterday. They're like, what are these seven Amazon charges for like 15, 16 bucks each? I was like, those are all books. Those are all books we're shipping to employees because they've asked us to do so. Now, I, I'm all about books uh the idea of books but reading books is something that i don't take time to do we do audible I, we do audible as well well so i've i've learned so i i'm trying to I'm trying to read my bible every day and i learn if i read it i fall asleep if i listen to it i don't digest or ingest what i've what i've heard um, so I have to do both. I have to listen to it while reading it. And I haven't found a way to listen to a book while reading it, mm. um, easily. 
I, I know that you can you can buy the book on Amazon and then you can add the read along or whatever through Kindle, but that gets expensive. So mm-hmm. what what I've what I've tried doing recently is I ended up I signed up for uh, a few libraries and I used the Libby app and I I just borrow books from the library ebooks. That's cool. And I I just tell myself just read a chapter, like like I I just read uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like oh, I, I wanted to dip my toes in. Like let's just read something fun. I yeah. loved the movie. Let's read the actual book. And uh, I I told you know just a chapter a night, and and so I'd I'd read uh read three chapters in the Bible, and then I'd read one chapter in in uh, a book. And then after that, then I can screw around and watch YouTube or play games or, or whatever I want to do. But, uh, you, you have to, you have to like discipline yourself and it's hard. Yeah. I don't, I don't is. like telling myself no. <laughs> That's, uh, I don't know if you watch David Goggins, like who's going to carry the boats kind of attitude. Like mm-hmm. a, nobody wants to do this. The people that do it anyway are the ones that usually get ahead. Yeah. So one of the other things I see is you said advance anyone who wants to grow. So what do you mean by that? Because you're not just going to start giving people promotions. No, not at all. Um, uh, a belief I have, I've, uh, I've stated this a few times um, as well, is a, a big reason working at a startup is a risk for a lot of people for their career trajectory. It is. It's a small company. You don't know if it's going to run out of cash. You don't know even if it has product market fit, if it'll exist for eight more months. You don't know. So it's a risk. So what reward are you getting by taking that risk? There should be a reward. And if there's not, you shouldn't work at that organization. Um, and the answer lies in a lot of the reason a lot of people apply and work at startups is because they know they'll be given an opportunity they would never get elsewhere in a larger, more defined organization. So a lot of people who are first-time managers, that opportunity doesn't exist at an enterprise because they're not going to hire you. They're not going to promote you as the first-time manager. They're going to either hire the person that went through the recruiting process that they've defined for the last 20 years, or they're going to take your coworker who does have management experience and just have them do the job. So a lot of opportunity you get, uh, you know, not only at Finn, but most startups is you start as the person doing the work. And then you become the only person at an organization who does that work incredibly well. So when other people are hired to do that, you're the one teaching them. You're the one leading them. You're the one managing them. And so one of the questions we ask at, the, at an interview is like, if you want to be a manager of people, that is perfect. We will help that happen. We will make that happen. If you don't want to manage people, that is also fine. That is also perfect. You can be the best person you'd like to be here. It, the only important thing is that you're upfront about it. So... When people apply for the job, it's, we'll ask them. Sure. Yeah. So, so what would you say, and, and this is a hypothetical individual, not anyone I know or anything, but what would you say about somebody who thinks of themselves as a people person, uh, is really bad. I don't know that they're bad at confrontation. They just don't like confrontation. And, um, they don't, they don't really like, they don't really like giving 
negative feedback. They just want to be that positive, chipper, cheery, yeah. rah, rah. Like that's that's not the type of person you want in a management role, I think, right? Uh, I would say that's not, a, that's not a type of person I would like to to work with uh, in any capacity. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's not that they'd be an, a bad individual. Listen, I, I have enough people trying to tell me that my shit doesn't stink and I'm the smartest person they've ever met. And I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't feel like that at all. And so what I'd rather have, what's way more constructive, what's way more effective is somebody who says, you're screwing up here, who's willing to confront me. So my advice to that person who is not willing to, is essentially a people pleaser, is not, is not willing to put potentially offending somebody on the line because they think it would be the best thing for that other individual. I say, get used to being uncomfortable and do it anyways. The best way to start doing that is to just start doing it. And we're very upfront. I'm very upfront with Josh, uh, my co-founder. It's why we work so well together. It's about if I believe you're screwing up, I am going to tell you the instant I believe that. And I'm going to explain to you why I think that things. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person and everything to do with if we're both committed to the outcome we want, which is to build the biggest and the coolest thing we can dream of. We should all be committed to finding and understanding the truth. So it's this, the best way is to create some kind of guiding principle that sits above being a people pleaser or not wanting to deal with confrontation and to have that guide your decisions. So for me, it's, I am committed to finding and understanding the truth, not only in others, but more importantly, and especially myself. And when you communicate that to somebody else, it gives them the freedom and the opportunity to put their feelings aside, like in this case, and to actually be upfront and say, I think you're messing up here for these reasons. So it's uh, communication. It's just communicating that. Um, that's one thing I tell every employee is that I, I, if all you are telling me is good things, I think you're lying. I know you're lying to me. I know you believe I'm messing up somewhere and I need you to tell me that. It's like, and we can debate it and we can agree to disagree. But it'll always be a debate. It'll always be a conversation centered around, okay, how do we move forward? How do we get better? It's never going to be a personal attack on me, a personal attack on you or anyone involved in the situation you bring up. Always going to be, what's the best path forward? And are we accurately describing reality and the truth and understanding it? That's really great. So um, you you also mentioned having that generous pto policy it's it's good that you don't have unlimited pto i can't find my camera there we are unlimited pto right yeah so um i actually work for a place that has unlimited pto and it's it's intimidating yeah um because because you you don't want to abuse it and and you don't know like what's the metric for like where where does it stop being me making sure I'm like mentally and physically good to do my job and and abuse? Where's the line? Um we had we had a guy take an entire month off uh because it it was like, you know, a couple of years after COVID and and like he had been he had been going nonstop. And he, he finally just was like burned out and took a month off and, and like, that was cool. I'm, I'm like, okay, so maybe this really is all about making sure our, our like mental and physical well being is, is okay. 
but some some employers will like guilt trip you if if you take too much time off um i love that you have made it very clear to your management team that they don't get to deny time off but have you have you had anybody abuse their time off thing at, at all no not at all not yet I know that'll change just given, you know, you get enough people together in the room and, and mm -hmm. people's incentives become misaligned. Uh, but no, nobody's, nobody's taken advantage of it. That's awesome, man. And it's, you know, it's good when you're a small company, you, you don't really have too many people trying to abuse it. It's, it's when you grow, that's when, you know, when you, when you start having 400 employees, that's when you're gonna, you're gonna have people take advantage of. Yeah. what what you're trying to do for the company and that that's going to suck because you're going to start taking away perks because people are abusing them yeah i hope i never have to get to that point i i don't look forward to the day where i feel like i have to do that in order to be productive moving forward yeah there's also enough i also don't uh, one of my advisors made a statement it's like uh, you need to build a company that can live if B players are the only people that can work at your organization. And I was like, wait a sec, you're saying I'm going to have to hire B people? I don't, <laughs> don't want to be that company. Like, do you want to be big or do you want to be small and excellent? It's like, well, why does it have to, is that a fault dichotomy? It's like, why does it have to be both? I am not looking forward to the day where either of those things were if I ever come to a point where I realize they have to occur in order to continue moving forward, I'm not looking for it. Um, mm. There was one thing you mentioned, uh, two things about the unlimited PTO. The first is I don't have any kids, but I imagine it's a lot like all of the parenting books that I've read. It's uh, boundaries create safety and security. If nobody knows where the line is, there becomes this level of anxiety around can I cross it? Can I not cross it? Is this where the line is? What happens if I go over it? You don't know. Nobody knows. Management doesn't even know. They'll deal with it on a case-by-case -case basis because there's no, um, there's nothing that came before no, to help them no understand. No precedent. Right. And so if I set this boundary of, in our case, you'll get 20 days paid PTO. You'll get, the, and these are all the things that come along with it. Nobody can deny it. Take it whatever you want. We encourage you to take every day, every year. Uh, and you also get all the holidays um, as well. When we set that boundary, it's like it's very hard for people to take advantage of the system because the system is so well defined. So the first thing, if I ever were, I've never had a career job in my life. The last official job I worked at where I got paid by somebody else, I was a tutor for my university and I worked at Red Robin. Like that was it. That was the last. I've never had a career in my life. And the first thing I would ever do if anyone ever told me I had unlimited PTO and then I'd follow up with, are you actually committed to that? And they said, yes, I said, great. I'm going to start tomorrow. And then I'm taking 365 days off. And then you'd get to a point. And that immediate point would be, you have to get them to admit that it's really not a limited PTO. There is a contract that you are agreeing to, which the other side is just not being honest about. And it's that there are limits. There are limits to this thing that we've told you is limitless because that's just not reality. Mm -hmm. not reality. And so when I started, uh, when we were building our PTO policy and asking other founders and asking other large organizations and looking at how they did it, that's exactly what I wanted to create was a system where it was very clear. What are you agreeing to? What's the contract I have with you? Not only so that I can hold you to it, but so you can hold me to it.
I'm I'm really impressed. Connor, Connor, can I ask? This is probably an inappropriate question, but how old are you? I'm 27. You are wise beyond your years, my friend. I appreciate that. I I like to learn. I learn a lot, and I feel like I have a great outlook on life. And more importantly, I'm always willing to change when confronted with additional information. So, good for you. Consistent learning process. Good for you. So, uh, is Finn hiring? He actually just got done hiring like 14 people. So, wow. Uh, we're at 25 that we started the year, like eight, seven or eight or something like that. So, I'd say for the, at least the next quarter or two, we're definitely just settling in and seeing where everyone's going to shake out and what all the capability is going to be. And then we're going to start building on top of that. So, not currently, but soon. Very good. And do you have any idea of what? uh roles you'll be hiring for once that time comes yeah go to market and process uh and product so i'm technical by background i studied math in college started a software development company in college my co-founder has a history of being a part of startups as a software developer at jpmc and all that stuff so we're very technical our belief core fundamental belief is if we build the best product that drives the best outcome that second piece is the most important part it has to drive the best outcome we will win. And so we will always be hiring capable product talent, whether that's product managers, designers, uh, UI developers, senior, junior, mid-level engineers, uh, principal engineers, whatever it is, we're always hiring capable product folks. Um, and the other two legs of the stool are partner experience and uh, sales. So we will definitely be scaling our go-to-market team because we're on the cusp of having some really cool stuff uh, really cool capabilities as an organization. And once we see, you know, we're like, uh, once the boulder starts rolling down the hill, it's already picking up steam. But once it really starts picking up steam, that's when we're just going to double down on everything that's working. Uh, and we're pretty close to that. You said something and I, I had a comment and I lost it and it bothers me. What was the thing I said? Maybe I can find the comment. I don't know. <laughs> um, isn't that weird how, how my brain works? ADD is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, might have been the techni- technical founder piece. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, advice for MSPs. Uh, I was technical co-founder. Somebody needed to do sales. So I also sold the first 100 partners of ours. You cannot delegate sales if you are not at a decently sized book of business. It has to mm-hmm. be you have to understand the problems that your partners have so that you could communicate that effectively to the people who end up coming to work with you. Because mm-hmm. trust me when I say it doesn't matter how good of a communicator you are or how well you understand an issue. The person that is listening to you speak who's going to have to do the thing will never understand it in the exact way you will. There will always be some amount of loss in that communication. Let's say it's 10%. So if there's always going to be a 10% reduction in not only the quality of the information, but as a result, the quality of the outcome. You need to be doubly sure you're at 100% of the understanding because it only goes down from there. I remember the question now. What is you, it? you said that um, if, if you do all the things correctly, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, that you will win. If we build the best product that drives the best outcome, we will win. So what does winning look like to you? Uh, two things. Um, how many Ferraris? 
I don't like cars like that. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could say I had some kind of vice, like I was a gambler and I was doing this for the money. It's like I might go buy like a, a $2,000 set of golf clubs if I had a few hundred million dollars and that's about it. I, I'm still going to eat at McDonald's. I'm still going to complain that Big Macs aren't $4 like they used to be. And the dollar menu is not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Money is a... Uh, Money is a tool to help drive outcomes. It's my perspective on it. And the one thing I'd love to do with it when I have it is to give back to people that were like me in college and high school. It's just, I was a loser. I was always very capable. And it was like, oh, that kid just got his stuff together. If he actually applied himself just a tiny little bit, he'd do something. That was always me. I was, I was always messing around doing dumb things. So I'd like to go give back to those kids and, and, uh, like help them build the next generation of cool companies that are just designed to do cool things. So you did mention winning. So winning is my, my co-founder and I's stated mission is to build the biggest and the coolest thing we can dream of until somebody tells us to stop doing it. Uh, and we're already at a point where Finn is more successful than we ever dreamed. When we were back in the basement, we are more successful than we ever dreamed we could have gotten to. Everything past this point feels like gravy just like ah we're we're just doing cool things the second thing is me and josh are incredibly motivated by solving hard problems it's like something we genuinely enjoy is solving hard problems and as we grow larger and larger and larger as an organization what we how we view it is we get exposed and we have the privilege of getting access to larger and larger and larger problems that 99.999% of even the entrepreneurial community never gets to. It's like, even as small as a company we are, it's like, what does it look like to manage a company of 25 people or to manage a team of 25 people? Well, I don't know. You got to manage 25 people first and figure that out. What does it look like to to manage a team of 50 people? What does it look like to solve a problem on a scale of serving millions and millions of people a month? Well, I don't know. I'll let you know when I get there though. So like, those are the things, having access to harder and harder problems and doing bigger and bigger things that just feel fun uh, is in, motivates us. That's winning, is every day waking up and doing, building the biggest and the coolest thing we can dream of and solving harder and harder and harder problems because it's fun to do so. That's, that's winning. That's awesome. Connor, thank you so much for coming out here and just educating MSPs on at least how you have have taken the the hiring and onboarding process with your team. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on. Thanks for giving me a soapbox to stand on so I, I could explain what I believe. Uh, and I'll sum up two things for, for the folks that are listening. Really get honest about the opportunity cost of doing hiring yourself. See if a recruiter would make sense after doing that calculation. The second is If you want to hire great talent, you're going to need to give them the authority and the ability and the resources to make their own decisions, even if you disagree with them slightly. It's your job to give context and direction, their job to make the decisions. If you try to do both, you'll never hire good talent. Excellent. Uh, Well, hey, for those of you that are are still watching, thank you so much for for being on here today. Uh, I will catch you guys next week, Wednesday, 1 o'clock p.m. U.S. Eastern. And I'm going to be joined by Orrin Klopper next week. I hope I'm saying that name correctly, because that's a it's a name I'm not familiar with. Orrin Klopper. And um, we are going to talk about growth through acquisitions. Mm. So next week's going to be a fun one. Um, but until then, enjoy your week, everybody. And uh, I'll catch you at the next episode. 
Thanks, Take care, Steve. Thanks, Connor. Take care. Bye.